This episode is brought to you by our friends at FB Autosport. There's nothing worse than spending your race weekend under your car missing sessions because you were too swamped to get everything done in time. Whether it's car prep, new car builds, or arrive and drive, FB Autosport has you covered for Time Attack, GLTC, or WRL. They even have cars you can rent now while you put the finishing touches on your latest race car project. Reach out to Rob at FB Autosport now and tell him that Slip Angle sent you to get your project car finished and get back on track. Man, freaking CMP, dude. It's a hard day. It was a pretty good day, but it didn't come easy. No, it was a hard day. Operationally wise, it was a hard day. Everyone's in good mood, though. Yeah. Good day on track overall, aside from some toes. Yeah. Um, uh, toes to- toes were a little bit slower than I kind of. Had- we don't want to say to CMP that their toe staff is slow, but we don't tell them they're fast. <laughs> so, um, sitting on the dyno, and uh, Mr. Greg Creamer, he's about 10 feet away. He's getting ear beaten by a Canadian barbarian who we had on the show recently. <laughs> Jabber John, yeah, really. <laughs> We're talking about Speed Vision days. So, yeah, um, the uh, I'll let them talk. We can. We got plenty to talk about. Um, yeah, this track though, pretty fun place. I've not been on the circuit. I mean, like, just the place. The place in general. It's tra- got, like... I, I it- went around the track in the media van because uh, the people driving the media van to drop off photographers and stuff, like, not going so fast. One of them might be our social media director. Mm. And I went really fast. No time to dilly-dally here. <laughs> no, we, we, minutes are minutes, dude. Minutes are minutes. Minutes are minutes. Um, yeah, this, Chrysler this- Pacificas get... After it around this the track is something like a mix between Blackhawk and Gingerman in terms of like yeah. vibe. Yes, like the but it's a much nicer facility than uh, Gingerman and a much bigger facility than Blackhawk. Yeah, yeah. Um, the paddock has trees, which is cool. Uh, yep, it's it's like intimate. The paddock is kind of close to yeah. the grid, but like good lighting, good good garage space that like lights the paddock on either side of it. Um, tech sheds, nice drive through, big lit up tech shed. Like we can operate here, and we can put a lot of cars through here at night. Tech tech inspect, do all the things we need to do. Um, How close are we to being like full up? Paddock is ninety percent full, and we have some DE drivers to come in. That's it. oh sure. Um, supposedly, there's about a thousand more spectators coming in. Um, 800 to 1,000. Uh, we're going to maybe be in the four to five. I have no idea. Like, There's going to be a lot of, with, with drivers and crew and all that jazz. Like, yep. I don't have those numbers, but a lot of people. Good event so far. So That freaking Canadian barbarian, he talks. And Can't stop. But that dude loves racing. He was just on the dyno again, trying to retune his car, trying to make sure he's perfect. And because he doesn't want to be accused of cheating, because everyone's like that car's too fast in a straight line, and I'm like, it only matters if I think you're cheating. <laughs> yeah, and like, there are cars that spend an absolute fortune to run on our dyno. Yep. Every single weekend, or most of them. Yeah, uh, I think this one was largely um, because it started to miss right before race one. So they put it at a 60% throttle tune to make sure they were legal. So yeah. it was probably a 200 horsepower versus 230. Um, so he lost a few spots, but uh, now they got it redialed. So, excuse me. Um, the weather button on this thing. The weather is like perfect. It's really nice. Mr. Greg, grab a microphone. Let's check these levels, dude. Levels and levels and levels. Levels, levels, levels. We can get some. Hey, levels. James, can you get us some water? Can I put the mic in my mouth? No, we did not that. In, this we did, time. We did that in Atlanta years ago. Yeah, is that some water? Yeah, it's not that mic. That mic's gone. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, that mic, that's a bad mic. We don't have that mic anymore. No, we threw that mic away. 
Uh, I'll take a, at least one for Mr. Greg, but yes, we'll take as many as you bring. We appreciate it, bud. James Houghton being our bitch. But, yep. Um, let's do a levels check on you, Greg. How you, All right. How you I'm good. I'm good. This is a sure SM48, so you put it within about an inch of your mouth hole. All right. All right. I can do that. Greg knows what to do. How do we look here? Make uh, it happen. Make it, it seems happen. perfectly fine to me. All right. Adequate. Adequate enough for Slip Angle Podcast. So what is this, podcast number 515 or some shit? I think it's like 514 or so. That's too many podcasts. 513, 514, something like that. That's a lot of podcasts. Greg Kramer, who is your daddy and what do you do? (laughs) What? uh, (laughs) Everyone's heard your... that's a start. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger line for me, too. Um, What? What, from Kindergarten Cop? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, We both just dated ourselves. How did you get into announcing racing, and what have you all announced? You've announced a lot of things. uh, Last year... I mean, real quick aside, Gary Cummings, who does operations and race control for us sometimes, yep. he was working as a steward at the Miami F1, like literally operating like a gale lift or whatever. Right. And he sends me a picture. He's like, hey, your announcer's on the screen. <laughs> and like you were, <laughs> you were announcing the F1 like to the paddock or to the Yeah, uh, to the big spectators. screens. Yeah, the, yeah, the big exactly. screen coverage. Yeah. That yeah, was pretty cool. So That was, uh, a, that was a nice gig. Yeah, that's that was fun. fun. Are you that's, doing it again or no? That was a nice one. Yeah. Are you doing that again or no? Um, actually, no. They have, uh, they have decided, that, as they say in the business, to go in a different direction. Oh, man. Uh, F1 actually is mandating that, that they use another team. So uh, I think it's, it's, it, it's one of the Euro teams. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but um, the Concours Club, yeah. um, which is you know, one of the, uh, the, the uh, motorsports clubs uh, that's based in, in Opelika, Florida, um, have, uh, they have a huge hospitality unit there. Okay. And they've hinted that they may want me to come in and actually announce to their hospitality. To their <laughs> can, so. you, can you do race call just for us? <laughs> like, is that a, that's actually a thing, huh? I, I guess so. Man, I guess so. That's It'll wild. be interesting. Um, how did you get a start into announcing racing? Because I know you have a background in racing a little bit. And yeah. How do, you, um, how do you get behind the mic? Well, it was kind of funny. When I got out of college, um, I mean, I'd been a, I'd caught the racing bug when I was a young kid in Europe. Yeah. Um, first races I ever saw in my life were at the old Nordschleife. Really? In, what were yeah. you doing in Europe as a child? My dad was uh, in the foreign service. He worked for the military school system. He okay. was like a troubleshooter and consultant. Okay. And uh, we lived for the eight years we were over there. We did uh, six of them in Germany. Okay. And in the last two years, we lived in Munich and... Uh, it was kind of funny. I, I was a huge race fan because over there, uh, you know, especially then, there were two sports, right? Right. Football, soccer, and auto racing. Yeah. And so newspapers and everything were just covered in it. So And TV was already covering Football, it. Football, soccer so, being one sport for yes. those who did. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, I was Americanizing it yes, for those yes, who yes. Um, But uh, so I was, I was a fan, and uh, I was having a real problem getting from um, – the apartment that we lived on the military base, right. the ten minute walk over to the school, okay. on time. I was never, I didn't skip, but I was tardy a lot. Yeah. And after a parent teacher conference, the uh, uh, my dad said, "Greg, we came back and they said you have had a real problem being tardy." And I was like, "Oh," and he said, "Because the teacher said she would put a little red dot next to a student's name for every day they were tardy." Mm-hmm. And my name looked like it had measles. <laughs> and, yeah, and so he said, yep. here's the deal. He said, if you go the next semester without one dot, I'll take you to the Nürburgring. Yeah. And I did. Really? I, How oh, old yeah. were you then? Uh, it would have been nine. Really? 
Probably nine years You're old. That into it back then. Oh yeah. My daughter yeah. turned nine years old today. Yeah, yeah. And she's not into cars at all. Not <laughs> cars at all. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Clark's my hero, man. From yeah? that, that he's wild. the reason I got into it. So, uh, so we went to the and it was the the '67 uh, uh, 1000K. Really? At the ring. Yeah. And it was amazing. And then the next fall, right before we moved back to the states, yeah. uh, we my folks got a call from uh, from some friends, and they said, "Hey, we're going to the Nurburgring for the German Grand Prix." Okay. Would Greg like to come? And so the folks stuck me on a train, now at 10 years old. By yourself? By myself. <laughs> and it was time, like a five-hour train ride, and they were waiting for me at the other end. And really? we went up and spent the weekend at the Nürburgring and watched Jackie Stewart win by four minutes in the rain. Really? And it was, that was it. Game over. I was hooked. That's, so. So, that's a wild origin story. <laughs> <laughs> And and, yeah. and and the fun you part literally was got your origin story at Nurburgring in the rain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. A joke. That's it, like literally a de joke. I go flood out Nurburgring yeah. in the rain at night. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Great. And then we moved back to the states. We moved of all places to northern Minnesota because okay. we had family there. My, yeah, I my remember you telling me you're from Minnesota. Yeah, and we moved there. And the next spring, Donnybrook International Speedway, which is now Brainerd International yeah. Raceway, Donnybrook opened yeah. with Can Am. Formula 5000 with the drivers that I was watching in Europe. You know, really? Stewart was running Can-Am, McLaren and Holm and those guys. That's like a rowdy transition, right? It was, oh, yeah. it was crazy. It was crazy. And so I was it. I was you just it was, fell into this. I did. I was, it was game over. Uh, yeah. uh, as a younger child, were you like, did you play with toy cars? Were oh, you yeah. into cars? Yeah. Any rug that had a pattern. Yes. That was a track. Yep. I had Matchbox, little Matchbox cars. I remember my first I had, Matchbox. I had a I massive collection of Matchbox, yeah. Formula One, and sports cars. Yeah. And, yeah. My first one was like a 79 Citroen. Not a cool Matchbox. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember holding it at church with my grandma. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, yeah. I, was, I was a fanatic about it. And uh, I haven't told this to a lot of people, yeah. but <laughs> I used to, I, I, I got the folks to buy me a, a helmet. Mm-hmm. It was a cheap full face helmet, but it was a helmet. Mm-hmm. And when they were not around, I would get into the bathtub because that was kind of <laughs> like a cockpit. Yeah. And I had the steering wheel, and I would sit there and I would drive. It's <laughs> kind of amazing. And every <laughs> once in a while, I'd drive a rain race. Yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd turn the shower on. I'm serious. I was because all I wanted at that point in my life was to was to race really? cars for a living. That's okay. all I wanted to do. It's so. it's really hard uh, to describe to people who are not in it. Yeah. Like how much of an addiction and an, a drug this is. Oh. And if it like if it gets you Yeah. If it hooks that's, you that's I mean, it. It doesn't just rip a hole in your face like a fish. I mean it gets you it gets you. You're oh, in, it's deep. you're in the live it's well deep. and you're yep. there for good. Well the thing is, yeah. if it gets you, it becomes your lifestyle. Right. It isn't just a sport, it's not a game you go play and then right. do other things. It's full immersion. It's not a it's choice. No, <laughs> that's a really good point. Like, yeah. It's if I had a choice, yep. if it was just like, you could just do your construction job, you could like stay home on the weekends, you could like hang out. If I had a choice, it'd be like, yeah, why would I do anything else? I don't have a choice. You don't <laughs> have a choice. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Fuck, it, man. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to do this. I yeah, have, have to, to do this. <laughs> and the thing is, is that you know, I I soon realized that. I the place that I was happiest was at the track. Yeah, you know, and when I you know, before I started driving, I it, it was funny because when I was young and I was going to Brainerd, yeah. then you know, then Donnybrook, and I'm sitting in the stands, and I'm seeing these people dressed in white, 
out by the corners with these flags. Yeah. And I, I remember sitting there going, God, I'd love to do that, but I can only imagine how much that training costs and everything. <laughs> and <laughs> years later, know. yeah, years later, I mean, I out of college. Yeah. Um, hey, kid, we need some help. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was I was I was actually I got involved in ice racing, mm-hmm. um, and the series that uh, that I was I was working with, um, you know, they would plow two mile road courses on frozen lakes, right? Yeah. We, we know those guys. Yeah, you know the drill, and yeah. so they have corner workers right. that were working. And I got to chatting with them, and I found out they were they were SECA, and yeah. a couple of them were talking about how they had flagged at the at the IMSA race at Brainerd. Oh yeah, the original IMSA race, right? Yeah. The uh, the early series, and I went. I went, how much does it cost to get involved? That'd be so cool. And they went, what do you mean? I went, what's uh, training? And they went, training? They said, back then, they said, a 60 bucks a membership in SCCA, you can start flagging tomorrow. And I went, <laughs> what? And that was it. You just got to talk to Jim, and Jim, like, Jim needs help. <laughs> yeah. So that that spring, I I mean, yeah. I, I paid my membership, went up to Brainerd on Memorial Day, and, yeah. and uh, started flagging. And that's how I really got involved on the participant side cool. of racing. I was flagging. And uh, today, so. one of our, he started as a volunteer. He's just such a slayer. He comes up to me and he's working tech. He's working great. He's doing everything. Uh, younger dude, so into it. And he's like, "Dude, thank you so much for having me out here." I'm like, "Man, I should have. I feel like I should apologize to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> running you ragged." <laughs> well, yeah. see, but that's the thing of youth. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, youth and enthusiasm, and and, and when you get that infection that yeah. we're talking about. And that addiction, I'm, I was like that. Yeah. You know, I, I would have worked for peanuts to have gotten a job up at Brainerd. Yeah. You know, and you know that kind of thing. I, I was willing, and I mean, when I first started announcing, yeah. You know, I, 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 I announced anything for almost nothing, so, just to get it on the resume. So I know you've so. driven. How did you drive? And then how did you start announcing? Well, the the announcing happened first. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I thought um, it was the other way around. Yeah. No, I. Um, uh, when I got out of college, I got a job at uh, a cable company, yep. and I as a you know one of the things that I studied in college was audio video production that kind of thing right. Okay. Um, and I oh, got a job man. at a cable company, and this was back in the era. The Canadian superhero is coming with your water. I thought he forgot. Oh, what an amazing man! What a long trek! What a nice man! <laughs> so an audio visual degree. Yeah, and yeah. and so I got this job at a cable company, and this was back in the era yeah. when. Every cable company had to have three, you know, two or three access channels, public access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you could make your own TV shows, right? Wayne's World, right, basically. Right. And so I got the job I, as an instructor. So I would teach them how to use the cameras, teach them how to use the editing equipment, that kind of stuff. Okay. And at one point they said, uh, oh, and the other thing was in, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul oh, area. Hang on, hang on. I just spilled some water on this thing. And we're back. Adam spilled all right. water all over the board. Yeah, well, it's clean now, though. Yeah, now it's clean. Um, Actually, I think it was a um, so you, uh, Oh, yeah, so I was teaching him how to use the uh, the equipment for the access channel. And in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area at that time, and this was really cool, every cable company in that area, they they all agreed that on one channel, that on every cable company in the entire metro area, there'd be one channel that would be called Regional 6. And every cable company owned a little piece of it for you know, you know, so much time. And it would air on every one of those things with the exact same programming. So it was almost like a network, right? And the cable company I, I was working for, they said, Greg, we, know, you know, we don't pay much for this position and everything. If you'd like, we'll give you a half hour a week of our time on that regional cable six. You can certainly use the equipment 
and have some fun with it. So I started doing a little version of uh, like Motor Week Illustrated or Speed Week or whatever. Yeah, uh, covering you know um, everything from from autocrossing. That's when I started driving. Was in that period because I started autocrossing. I'd cover that. We covered motorcycle racing because I had my uncle and uh, and cousins were involved in motorcycle racing. And uh, when Trans Am would come to Brainerd, we'd go up and do stuff for Trans Am, and we covered the ASA stock car race. You know, just on this little show. In the winter, we did snowmobile racing and ice car racing, and just doing this show. And through that, uh, at one of the shows, uh, there was a big fall. It's called the Minneapolis Ski and Snowmobile Show. There was a racer who was there representing a, one of his sponsors with a Formula One snowmobile back in the era, you know, when they existed, the twin tracks, these you know crazy machines. And he said, "Great, why don't you bring your you know your lights and everything, and, and you could you know do some shows from there or interviews or whatever." Yeah. And I ended up interviewing this guy who owned a snowmobile series, yeah. and we talked about it and everything. So that was in like September, right? January, I get this call, and he says, "Hey, Greg, I don't know if you remember me. He's, I'm Tim Berg." And I went, "Yeah, you own MRP." And he went, "Right." And he said, um, we have a race coming up this weekend, and the announcer that was hired for it can't make it. And we're a little desperate, and I was trying to think of who might be able to do it. Would you be interested? And I said, I've never announced snowmobile racing. And he said, maybe you didn't hear what I was saying. We're desperate. And he said, it's not like we have a short list right now. You're the list. We pay. It's not a lot. Are you interested? And I said, if you're willing to take the risk, I'll come out. And it was a frozen lake where they had this half-mile road course thing called Ice Le Mans, which is for snowmobile racing about as close as you can get to actual road racing. Yeah, Ice Le Mans. That's what they called it. Yeah, that was a hook right there. And I sat in a van. In the front seat of a van behind me were the two scorers and a spotter in the other front seat. In the van, on the ice, calling racing. And all I did was talk about what I was seeing. And... I, I mentioned my, my uncle, uh, uh, who was a, he and his kids were snowmobile and motorcycle racers. And I used to work at this motorcycle track and earlier. And so when I started doing this race, some of the top pros in snowmobile racing were some of the junior stars of the junior classes in, in motocross that were coming up. So I had some stories on a few of these guys. So I just started talking. And at the, end of the, at the end of the weekend, I said, if you ever need me again, let me know. I just love it. Because I'll be honest, up to that point, I was really concerned that I was going to not really ever be truly happy in life. Because I knew, you know, I said, I don't have money to be able to just go racing. And I love it so much. How am I ever going to do anything with this? And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then I did that, and this light bulb went off. And I went, oh, my God, I love this. I can, I, can, I can believe it. I, and, but, yeah, but look what you've done with it. It's pretty special. But, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, that. So I, I said to him, hey, if you ever need me again, and he said, well, I was just talking to my partner. I'd just like to do the rest of the year. And up to that point, the announcers were always from one of the local snowmobile clubs who were helping put the race on, you know, like a radio guy right, right. who had no clue what was happening but had a good voice or whatever. And so I became, I was the first ever sort of series announcer for him. And I ended up finishing, they owned it for like three more years and then two more owners. And I, I ended up working for that series for about 15 years, uh, announcing every winter and having a blast. And that eventually went to um, ESPN, decided they wanted snowmobile snowcross racing at the X Games. Yeah, and so they said, but we have to build some interest in it, so we want to actually, the previous year, we want to cover the series. Okay. 
and we so we're you know and they eventually got to the decision on announcers well there was nobody <laughs> you're the oh, an announcer guy. <laughs> yeah especially snowcross who knew it like that yeah. and so they they paired me paul page was the actual play-by-play guy okay uh it was the the voice of indycar right yeah, yeah. and i was the the analyst yeah and we just took off, and and you know that's, that's where that's how I started doing TV. Sitting in front of in the front of a van, just yeah. calling random s- snowmobiles. Whatever I could, yeah, just talking about so the past. That's so Pretty soon we're on ESPN. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the other day, Chris and I were working late in the office, and like you do, it's like midnight, uh, and. He's got a speed vision thing, and I'm like, holy shit, it's Greg. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, he does these sometimes. We're watching, like, the Grand Rapids Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. 99. Um, and so how did you transition into road racing? Like, where did that come from? Well, um, let's see. I started doing, uh, when I realized, I mean, I, I enjoyed the snowmobile stuff, but I love cars. I mean, going back to the Nürburgring and everything. So, um when I decided this is what I want to do, and I started doing some stuff at, um, um, you know, car racing, like I said, for the my little show, Speed Sport, by the way, is the name of it, cool. at um, uh, Brainerd, you know, and that sort of stuff. And one year I got this idea, and I talked to the people at, at uh, the cable company, because they had, you know, these little production trucks. And I said, I'd like to do the uh, ASA stock car race at the Minnesota State Fair. Mm-hmm. And they said, sure. So I talked to the fair, and they went, sure. So we ended up doing, um, it wasn't live, but we, right. it was live to tape of that race. And it was rough, you know, yeah. but, I mean, it was it was, it was was access, right? Quarter mile stuff? or like uh, uh, Half mile. Okay. Half mile track at, yeah. at, at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. And uh, did that, and then that winter is when I got hooked up with the ice car guys. Okay. So we started, instead of just doing it for my little half-hour show, we brought out the production truck, set it up in the ice with cameras, and we cover these ice races. And at one point, I, I was standing on top of, of the production van with a headset on with a mic to my producer who was sitting down the truck, yeah. just a friend who was, who was you know doing it, a scanner in the other ear so I could listen to some of the cars, yeah. and a microphone, and just was calling racing. And just talking about it, so and I mean literally, yeah, I know. I love and, it. You know, literally, there were times where he would ask me something and he couldn't hear what I was saying, and I just grabbed the mic and you know put it away. And go find the blue six and the red forty four, <laughs> and the racing continues here, kind of a thing. And yeah. that's how I started calling road racing, and I just that was it. I yeah. fell in love with that, and so then I started doing some race. You know, I did a, a race at Brainerd Trans Am race for free, just as a corner announcer, yeah, to get it on the resume and. Stuff started to happen, and and my my big break for announcing road racing uh, was I had I got a job at Road Atlanta okay. uh, down there. I I was down to flag the runoffs, and uh, that's not it, a job. That's well, just no, a but, long week. But what happened was um, I'd made an appointment because that was Chet Burks was doing Chet Burks Production Motor Week Illustrated yeah, yeah. back then, okay. and so I made an appointment to them and said, "Look, we're doing these snowmobile. I mean these these ice car races." We get some pretty good footage in the winter. You guys have, you know, don't have a lot. Would you be interested in, in just some footage? And yeah, you know, sure. And while I was there, I said, by the way, I'm doing some announcing. I'm, you know, these days, and here's a resume and everything. Well, his best friend was the PR director at Road Atlanta. Yeah. And he said, the best way that I can hear you is to have you announce. And he said, and it's the runoff, so virtually any track that hosts an SCCA race has their people here. Yeah. Let me talk to Dave, see if he'll put you on the mic. Cool. 
So I went out and I was just going to do the morning warm-ups on, on, on Friday and the, and the announcer, Ed, Ed Conway, said, would you like to do the rest of the day? Then it became the rest of the weekend. And That's then, awesome. uh, yeah, that was in the fall, obviously. And in the spring, they called and said, we're installing a new PA system here with a, back, a backside announcer, yeah. and yeah. we'd like it to be you. That's and so, so cool. that's how it started, and eventually I just kept hounding SCCA so much because right. IMSA had a series announcer, yeah. and that you know that era of Trans Am, uh, it was the best sports car racing on the planet. Right. It was better than IMSA, better than anything Europe had to offer. Yeah. And I kept hounding him, going, "This series is so good, and you need a series announcer, and it, and, and you need it to be me." And when they finally got a sponsor, uh, Liquid Tide came on board back Liquid in that era. Tide. It was the Liquid Tide Trans Am tour, and they hired me. That's amazing. And it was amazing. It, you know, and that was track PA, where I just traveled yeah, yeah, with yeah. the series. Yeah. And the only downside was, did you watch NASCAR stuff when Ricky Rudd was racing? Yes. With the bit. Tide sponsorship? Yep. You remember the, his crew uniforms? The white with the big orange Tide logo mm-hmm. and this orange down the legs and everything? That's what all the SCCA officials had to wear. You had to wear that? It just said Liquid Tide Trans Am Tour instead of just Tide. It's not the worst thing. Not the worst thing, but it was pretty ugly. (laughs) It's not a great look. Pretty ugly, yeah. (laughs) If that's the worst part of your job, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was okay. I still have it hanging in in the closet. That's cool. Because it's a great Halloween costume. (laughs) Uh, But uh, So I started traveling with them. Yeah. And in doing that, I ended up announcing in front of a lot of other people on a couple of of tracks that, that where Trans Am ran that IndyCar was also at. Um, they said, hey, you know, we need a second announcer. Would you be willing? And the big break, really, that I had was Chris McClure, who um, he was everything for the Detroit Grand Prix. Okay. Uh, did the PA setup, did the announcing, did everything. Oh, asked wow. me to do that. Yeah. And I did it with him for two years. And he was also sort of the lead guy for the two Canadian IndyCar races. Okay. And they needed another announcer, and Chris put in a good word for me. And I ended up going up there and for four years did the PA for the uh, Molson Indy Toronto in Vancouver. Cool. And the last year when I was going to do that, um, the CBC television network in Canada, one of their pit announcers for Vancouver couldn't do it. Right. And Paul Page, who I'd been doing some IndyCar radio stuff with and, and, yeah. and the other uh, snowmobile stuff, uh, they asked him and he said, I'd give Greg a try. He, you know, he does pits for us on yeah. occasion and, and he's good and all that. And so on a, on a blind recommendation, they brought me up, and everything clicked. And for the next four years, I did the pit reporting for CBC Television for that. So, and that's where that was what TV started. So this, this still seems like, even to this point, it seems like, ah, I can't pay my bills with this. Uh, you're right. What were you doing? You're right. Um, well, for a while, I worked uh, at Bloomington Tire Center. Okay. Uh, selling tires. Yeah. Um, just odd job. You know, you know did whatever I could. Still doing for the love of doing it. Yes, absolutely. That's yep. so good. Um, That's so cool. Uh, doing that. And uh, and uh, my wife at the time, you know, she did pretty well with her business. Okay. And so I was I was able to pursue this a little bit. And um, and it eventually took off. And after that, that first year of doing the IndyCar stuff, that was 95, okay. and I had some friends that videotaped stuff, and I just put together this, it was, you know, crash edit, ugly stuff, but it was all I, I could do, right. a little audition tape. And TNN, if you remember TNN yeah. Race Day, and they did stuff, and ESPN, and there was this new network called Speed Vision, uh-huh. that, and I got a contact on it, so I sent out these tapes, and I got no reply at all from TNN. Yeah. I got a tape from the producer at uh, ESPN, uh, returned to me with a note that said, "Thanks for submitting this. You certainly know your uh, your stuff. You're a little rough around the edges. When you get a little more experience, get back to us." Mm-hmm. And I, well, okay, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And that was it. Never heard from anybody else, right? So um, I'm thinking, well, I'm announcing Trans Am, you know, for the year again. And I go, I got the gig announcing as being one of the track announcers at Daytona for the 24 hours. Really? Uh, Yeah. It was a guy (laughs) um, worth more than God. And the the, uh, radio network, the radio station in town that used to carry um, the, the coverage of of the 24 hours and the 500 and all that, decided to drop it. Okay. And he, it upset him, so he bought it. <laughs> he bought the station? Yeah, and made himself motorsports <laughs> producer. And I'd known him, so he had me come in. Yeah. And I did PA and radio for that. Um, and I had some friends that I knew who were in the TV compound, and I just popped in. You know, I was going to say hi. And this guy, and he, you know, he looks familiar to me, but I, I wasn't sure who it was. And he's talking to somebody, and all of a sudden he looks and he sees me. And he walks over to me, and he goes, Greg Creamer. And I went, yeah. And he introduced himself, and he happened to be the head of production for Speed Vision. Oh. And I, I actually missed a little part here. I had a number of people walking up to me in the early days that I was there going, Greg, we're so happy for you, man. That's great. And I'm like, well, I'm just doing radio, but thanks. You know, I mean, it's cool. Well, Bob Scanlon was his name, and he said, I saw you, and... I think I forgot to get back in touch with you. And he said, I'm the producer, for, I'm the, the executive production for Speed Vision. And I went, oh, nice to meet you. And he, okay. Said, okay. he said, well, um, he said, I don't know if you've been hearing things, but we announced at the marketing and sponsorship and broadcast meeting on Thursday night that you and Calvin Fish were going to be our pit reporters on Speed Vision. No, for no way. The, yeah. He they didn't totally even talk to you? forgot how to get back to me. <laughs> And so, that would be so unlike a small bootstrappy uh, <laughs> competition <laughs> to, series. To forget to tell people that they're doing things with them. I don't know. Oh, man, what is this? There are some interesting pit bikes here. I don't even know what there are. There are. Um, Looking relatively yeah. deadly, a few yeah, of them. Yeah, that thing looks like it would flip over on its face. But, uh, um, yeah, so um, ESPN had the contract for Daytona that year and Sebring. Okay. And then Road Atlanta did a spring race back then uh, for what was then uh, professional sports car racing in between the original IMSA and, and the new thing, new ALMS. And uh, so Calvin and I made our debut for Speed Vision in the spring of 96 yeah. at, uh, at, at Road Atlanta. And that just, everything took off from there. Wild. Yeah. So can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Why are you here? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I've never seen Carolina Motorsports Park, and I was mildly curious. I, I forgot. I forget right now <laughs> yeah. how we got to know you. All of a sudden, you were just at Mid-Ohio with us. Well, what and happened I was forget. Kyle. Yeah, I thought um, it was through Kyle. Yeah, it was through Kyle. And he ended up um, getting um, – he was working uh, – he, he was doing PA – not PA – well, essentially stream announcing yeah. of World Challenge races. For CrowdStrike, For CrowdStrike. Yes, yes. And he had a conflict – uh, with Mid Ohio and a World Challenge race, yeah, and so he called me, and I'd met him obviously because I was the announcer for World Challenge at the time on 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 the on the full stream, right? And he said, "Greg, are you available?" Uh, because for some reason, I I I wasn't at that event or whatever, and he said, "Are you available?" Uh, you know, you're familiar with Grid Life, and I said, "Sort of," because Tom O'Gorman, who I was calling in World Challenge, yeah. Uh, was t- talked to me about it all the time and some like SCCA stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so I said I'd love to try it, you know. Yeah. And I showed up, and when I won, when I saw the ethos of it, and two, the rules, the way it was conducted, 
everything yeah. that was oh, that was happening, I just went, this is awesome. Cool. This is awesome. And to me, this is, the, this is a huge empty niche that you guys have filled. Because so? you've got pro racing, you know, with the massive budgets and all the regulations and restrictions. And, Don't get me started on my thoughts on pro racing. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> yes, about, right? Yes, yes. And then you've got the, the unattainability. Non, yeah, then, the fully yeah. non-spectator club racing. Right. Which is great. It's great. But it's there. Yeah. And there's this middle ground, and for lack of a better, you know, better term, like triple A to the majors or yeah. whatever, that middle ground um, of grassroots racing right, right. that has an opportunity, uh, you know, to fill a niche where people that they don't want to spend 500 bucks for tickets for a weekend at a big pro event, right. but they don't want to, you know, you know, go to a club race where there's no announcing, there's no nothing. Well, you've got an opportunity here, and then when you guys do what you do. With the track battle time attack and with the drifting and the music, yeah. that's the future of our sport because that's the young crowd that's coming in and getting, um, for lack of a better term, indoctrinated right. into that motorsports thing. And we hope they get to the point where they no longer have a choice either. Yeah, we've right? had. I mean, we've had, we have people competing regularly that like started out just like getting drunk with their friends at Midwest Festival, and they're like, "Man, this is cool! I really want to do that stuff." And then eventually they got there. Yeah. You know, they were sitting in a tent trackside. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a thing. Yeah. So. And to me, it has become, it, in my opinion, it has become the model, the model of 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 clean, exciting racing. I really appreciate because it. Because, you know, I mean, I've announced an awful lot of stuff, right? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, in the driver's meeting, you know, today, you know, you guys had a race at Coda on the NASCAR weekend. Three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah and you guys put NASCAR to shame because yeah. NASCAR was awful, yellow after yellow after yellow. Yeah. The road racers that were there, some of them I know yeah. and have said, it was just, you know, we were like going into a turn going, I wonder who's going to hit me. Yeah. Because I'm going to get hit. Yeah. And, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And then you guys show up and put on some of the best side-by-side for corner after corner after corner racing out there. And people at the end of the race... It didn't have to spend a huge amount of money fixing cars. Yeah. Everybody left smiling. They just raced with, you know, at a track NASCAR and F1 races at yep. and put on a hell of a show. And it works. That's the goal. It I mean, works. It's fabulous racing. You can't sustain high level amateur racing if you have to buy a new car. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, you can't. can't do it. We lost a side skirt. I think we rumpled the front end a little bit, but, like, they pulled it out before race four. That was, like, literally when it, Paul Curley's diff blew up and Cotill got into the back of him because he was in the mm-hmm. oil. And, like, it looked perfect by race four. And we had three tire donuts. That's what we had at Coda, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and I was real upset about those tire donuts. <laughs> I don't want any tire donuts. I don't want anybody's door to have a ring on it, but I guess I'll take a ring on it. A, a door, ring is not so bad. A ring, in a way, can be a badge. That, track, that, that can track, be a badge, you know? right? A, a Coda, badge of honor. Yeah, almost. Coda is... <laughs> man, that is a loud little thing, whatever yeah, that is. is. Coda, Coda's turn one does breed contact. It's horrible. It's diabolical. By design. It's diabolical. Yeah, you think well, like there was an evil laugh when somebody drew that. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny you say that yeah. because I announced the first Formula One race at Coda, okay. right? <laughs> what? For PA, yeah. And um, where we were announcing from, you could see turn 19 very clearly, okay. right? And turn one is, yeah, you're right, and 11 is the same way, right? Yeah, yeah. But turn 19, you know, if you're in a Formula One car or, or any kind of race car, but especially a low-slung car, w- when you commit to the apex, you can't see it. Right. Because you're so low and it falls away. 
and it's, it drops off on the exit. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there watching, you know, Sebastian Vettel, and I mean the best racers in the world, struggling like mad, uh-huh. and running way wide in 19, and just you know, you know that same thing in one, same thing in 11. And during the announcing, I said, you know what, folks, I I bet you that Herman Tilke was twisting an imaginary mustache when he was laying <laughs> it's his trap almost out. a diabolical it is. course. It is, uh, especially at real pace or with a lot of cars. Oh yeah, there's just some weird spots. Well, and you know that oh, oh, that sorry, stuff where it, it's so wide going up. in. It invites it into yeah. this tight corner that tightens up on the exit. You can go 10 cars wide into turn one. Yeah. You can't go 10 cars and, wide through turn one. And 10 into one is tough math. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and the other part that people don't always think about at that track is as you come up that 110-foot rise, as you go into the turn, it flattens out. Yeah. yeah. So the car gets light, and if you brake too late, yep. you, you've got nothing. We've had that a couple you know? times where yeah. a car just boom, skids into somebody because yep. they were braking just a little too late, yep. and the car gets so light, yep. especially if you're on the inside left. Oh, yeah. Uh, it gets so light because yep. uh, it just crests off so fast there. Yeah. Uh, wild track. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. Now, I'll yeah. tell you, I did that uh, that same year, or was it the second year? Because I did the first four or five F1 races there. Okay. And I think it was, it was the second year. Um, SCCA had a majors there. Yeah. Uh, the first one ever. I remember that. And I announced yeah. that for them. They had me come in. Yeah. But the other one was World Challenge shared the, the venue with the Australian V8 supercars. Really? The, I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah. And they didn't use the whole course. Okay. Because when you would, uh, that, you'd come through that first section of S's. Yeah. There's a cut across where you would cut right back over into the stadium section. Right. right? right. That was so one that was different. The other part of it that was amazing was the drivers from the V8 Supercar Series looked and went, "We need much higher cubs." <laughs> yeah. You know, these yeah. things are bloody too small. Get yeah. these cubs because the tra- there's no lines to the track unless you no. actually look at the lines. But I mean, monster curbs. They right. put in these. It was the gator, unbelievable. The, the turtles. They the call turtle. Them. I mean, they yeah. were huge because fans want to see those cars, and the drivers love bouncing over curbs. Yeah, yeah. So they installed in these sections of the track of these curbs. And watching the World Challenge guys trying to to deal with that was just unbelievably fun. Yeah. And the V8 guys were just, yeah, this is great. But I will say, it's the Australian V8 Supercar Series, right? When World Challenge cars are out on the track, everybody working in the garages on the V8 Supercars, the V8 Supercars, would run to the fence on the front straight or, or the pit wall every time the Cadillacs came by. Yeah. Because they were going, ah, that's what a V8 sounded like right they sound there. They sound pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was fun. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an amazing facility, but. It's so big. Like. And to me, it. The first time we were there. It's very, in a lot of ways, it's vanilla. Yeah, it's you know because but it's got this aura when you're. Oh, there. it does you're have like, an aura. Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, the first oh, time we were it's there, it's magnificent. When somebody would clear out of a garage, yeah, somebody would come in with this mini zamboni and polish the floor. It, like, there's so many wild aspects. You're, you're oh, you're yeah. impressed because it's nice. No, I know, but like, Greg, you've been kind of everywhere. It's so I don't big think too. having yeah. having spectated at F1 at Coda and done events there, like the place doesn't feel. Um, uh, prodigious to me, like mm-hmm. there are sort of like temporary feeling grandstands in a bunch of places, and except for that, like yeah. the front straight, it's yep. just like, well, it's it, it's just out in a field somewhere. Right. There's the an F1 track, and you've got right. the garage building, and that's kind of it. But yeah. if you go to like IMS or Daytona or someone else, you go to this place, and you're like, yeah. this is a big place. The first right. time I the first time I was at Daytona, I was driving in a champ car race, and I remember standing on top of the roof. Like 
rooftop deck above the garages. Mm -hmm. And like just looking down the straight when the lights were on, it's 10 o'clock at night. We're a couple hours from the end. And I was just like, it feels like the place is one mile long. Like, it's the biggest, most lit-up grandstand. It's the biggest thing I've ever what seen. What year would that have been? That would have been 2019. Yeah. yeah. See, now, see, here's the deal, because that was after Daytona Rising was completed. Yeah. And it's incredible. Yeah, and I, I announced the, the uh, 24 Hours, which is the first race after Daytona Rising was completed. Yeah, it was yeah. that 2016, I think. Yeah. And we got a tour early in the weekend from Joey Chitwood, who is the owner, or the manager, the president of the Speedway. He's talking about all this stuff. The Joey Chitwood that was on two wheels? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yep, I, yeah. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was yeah. the uh, the president there. The for stunt a while. driver. Yeah. That's yep. amazing. And uh, so he was talking about some stats. And you know, when they did the Daytona Rising, the the uh, they extended the grandstands and raised them, right? Yeah. And he said, when they did that rebuild, the engineers and the architects and the construction people had to actually account for the curvature of the earth. So when you were yeah. standing up there looking at it, going, "This it thing looks like it goes for a mile." Yeah. It's, it's, it's it looks that like big. it bends away. At it the does. End. Like it's it, it, it it's literally the most does. impressive place I've yeah. ever been and yeah. driven a car. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah, and you know what you were saying about about the the you know to me, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Is it kind of sterile? Sure. In a way, because it's very little consequence. You and know? It, and, it's, and there are yeah. some great corners, but. The there's, whole thing go off, to me like, just feels like it feels a little temporary. Like mm-hmm. there's there's no permanence to a yeah. lot of what's there. And so like, well, if the if the grandstands if they took them down and they like yeah. let the track fall apart, it would just disappear. Yeah. yeah. But like, and, like if the you go to roads are the bumpiest roads in the world, and like, but like, <laughs> like if you go to Indianapolis, yeah. Daytona is the same way. If you go there, you're like, well, this is. This is a permanent this fixture it's built yeah. into the earth. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and the other thing to me, I think back to just one of the, you know, I, I've been so lucky. I, I did five years, I think, as the studio host for Fox, FS1, for MotoGP. Okay. I didn't call the racing, but I was the one who got us on the air yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And um, this guy's going to hit this fence. we got drift carts happening. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. They got the little brakes. Yeah. Look at this shit. Amazing. How cool is this? Some good tandems, too. That's some this serious drifting going on right there. Oh! Oh, my gosh. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and right here, folks, if you're listening now, this is what sets grid life apart. Because this yeah. is the head of competition watching scooters go screaming oh, by. Oh guys drifting through poles going, this is oh cool. Gosh. And, and not like a and not trying to throw them out of the I don't track. Know if they signed enough waivers to yeah. have this much fun. Yeah. They got a hell of a little course laid out here. Rad, dude. They are absolutely going to hit one of those poles. It's not going to oh, be good. Oh, it's way too wide. You knew it too. No, but be careful! Be careful! <laughs> These guys are going to ruin grid life. I'll tell you what. They're going so fast. Crazy carts are wild. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, last, last year at Alpine Horizon, <laughs> yeah. we set up a course inside the garages, right, for those things, yep. crazy carts. It's like a front wheel drive thing, so you're just kind of like locking the back wheels. It's a spinny wheel in the front that powers it, and they're really controllable. But like, man, I ate a lot of shit on that course. <laughs> like, I crashed into some tires, dude. It's kind of hard. Those guys. It's are a good. little different. Yeah, they they got some skills, no question. But so, um, you were FS1. You were talking about. Studios. Yeah, um, and you know Casey Stoner was it was you know Stoner v Rossi and uh, Lorenzo and those guys. It was an amazing era, 
And Stoner retired. And one of the reasons he retired was he said, the the tracks that we race on now, with so much runoff and, and right. so much, there's no consequence anymore. And so, you know, people have no issue with just slamming India and running yeah. you off the track because they know, well, odds are you're just going to straighten up, drive off. And he said, there's no consequence. The racing is not, it, it, it doesn't light you up. You know, right. you know, with that adrenaline and, ah, oh, I'm really attacking this. Yeah. And he said, it's just not enjoyable anymore. And, you know, Cody has that feel to it. You know, a little there's, bit. There's a few spots where you can get in trouble. But most of it, you come in too hot, you just run wide. And you right. go over four or five different layers of colored paint and yep. come back on track. You know what I mean? Versus the kink at Road America or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Where, the kink at Road you know, America. That's where, you know, that's where drivers... Earn their strikes. The only place that I've had to use my left foot to hold my right foot down. <laughs> because if I didn't keep my right foot down, I would have crashed my car. Yeah, <laughs> like the place is amazing. Oh, it's daunting. It's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, what a wild place. I watch. I watch Davy Jones go off in the in a Jag XKR after you yeah. qualified him pole in the morning warm up in the carousel. And he came through and he was exiting the carousel and it snapped on him. Yeah. And it was huge. Because they were going, you know, they were exiting the carousel at about 40. Just yards. So, oh, just a few months ago, we had Jeff tw- V12 engine. Yeah. Too. Like, oh. Big stuff, too. <laughs> Crap everywhere. Oh, probably. yeah. Oh, a yeah. few months ago, we had Jeff Brown on the show. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about uh, the Level 5 team at Road America. World and, Challenge stuff. And, and yep. like runoff stuff. The idea of going like 170 or 180 through the kink in a car that budget was... There was no, there was no budget. Right. Yeah, they're uh, competing in the runoffs in a car that. Are you familiar with the story? Oh yeah, yeah the radical up. that had the, the. It was uh it was actually a turbo or whatever. It was, it was it was like a radical. What brand was it though? It was like yeah, it was D Sport Racer. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a class. It was a. It started with a brand. But yeah, it was, it was I know a what you mean. Yeah, but I forget what it was. But uh, yeah, twelve million million dollars, Multimatic built the body and the, everything. And yeah. 44 computers doing CFD for 44 days or some shit. Like, insane stuff back in 2012. Um, But, yeah, anyway, carry on. No, it's just, and like, that venue is just so cool because having driven there a little bit and having context for what speed is... Oh yeah, you're like 150 through the kink. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty serious. It doesn't matter what car you're in. 50 miles an hour (laughs) faster than my fit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it... I ran a, a, a CRX, uh, ITA CRX there once. I used to have one of those. And a great car. Yeah. Great car. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the kink, every time I came up to it, it wasn't mine, so I was right. a little nervous about it anyway. But I had the same thing. Whose you know, was it? Uh, it was a guy named uh, El Tom from Auto Technica was the name of the company. Because okay. the one that, that I had got rented out to a lot of people. That's why I, uh, <laughs> it wasn't okay. his, though. Yeah, no. Um, but, you know, that... That corners. I, I I remember corner working there from my first IndyCar race. Okay. I was I was at the Kink, and um, I the first thing was because Trans Am had been out and whatever the other support race was. Right. And when they turn in over the curbs there, right, and you get this. Yeah. Because they're going through there pretty damn quick, right? Yeah. And you get that. Right. Yep. First IndyCar comes out of the carousel, and I was I was uh, I was uh, yellow, so I was looking away. And I hear this incredibly loud, yeah, like that. That was the noise. I, I literally just jumped and freaked. Yeah. And then this Indy car just drove by. And I went, what the you know, That was the curve. So I turned again, and the next guy, same thing. But that much faster. Yeah, yeah. They were so going over that entire I, I curve. I think I've talked about this on air before. Um, at 
Dakota at yep. the S's. Yep. When the F1 cars go through the S's, mm-hmm. you're, if you're sitting on the hill, you're like, I don't know, 100 yards away or mm-hmm. so. They go over those curbs as well. They make the same noise. Exactly. The crazy thing about F1 is that the cars are so fast that by the time you as a spectator hear the noise, cars aren't on the curbs anymore. Exactly. That's wild. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Like, you, know, that, you know, those speeds, yeah. um, when IndyCar back in the cart yeah. had their first ever spring training at Homestead, and that was back when, because you know, Homestead was originally built as a mile and a half exact replica of Indy, the Indy Speedway, right? Okay. Four corners and all that, and it was diabolically dangerous. It really was, yeah. uh, because the speeds were immense, yeah, but those corners were so tight. I mean, I remember uh, I announced the first kart race there, and and uh, Michael Andretti made a pass. I don't think it was for the win, like second or third, and it was it was a road racing pass. Yeah, he came down the inside, it lit the brakes up, and then just drifted up in front of this guy. It was just, it was spectacular. Um, but at that first ever spring training, and I'm sitting actually in upstairs in the timing building. I said, "Don't put me on the outside of the track, because then I, I can't have access to anybody." Yeah. And it was basically it was testing. So I'm, you know, I said, "I want to be able to run down and get a, a press release or grab a driver or something, so you know, we can do something here." And there was this one, you know, because every once in a while you have one car, because it was a test ultimately. And at one point, Parker Johnstone comes up, who was, he'd driven, he, he actually ice raced with us okay. back in the day um, when he was driving Camel Lights. Yeah. And, um, and then, of course, got into IndyCar and was very quick and everything. And I'd, I'd known him. And, and he came up on his own volition and said, Greg, I thought you, must, you, you might be dying up here. So I thought maybe you could, you know, you could use some help. And I went, yes, please. And he sat down. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. He stayed 45 minutes. Yeah. And we talked about stuff. And, you know, one of the things I said, okay, for people who don't understand ground effects, mm-hmm. you've got a knack for putting it in very layman's terms and he explained it and his opening line was oh yeah it all started with this crazy italian named bernoulli mm-hmm. and he went in and just explained it but we were talking about the speeds and everything there and he said you know and i don't remember the exact numbers but you get the gist he went great we're entering you know we're coming up to turn one at 196 miles an hour mm-hmm. and it's a 90 degree turn right he said at 196 and he was He's an engineer. What's right? the banking like? Eleven so, degrees. Yeah, it was. You know, it was like Indy. You know, everything was like Indy. Yeah. It was just shorter. Yeah. And he said, at 196 miles an hour, we're traveling so many feet per second. Yeah. Right. And he said, so if I miss my breaking point by a half a second, and I'm on the limit, my track out point is now 15 feet beyond that wall. Right. Gosh. And, you know, that's how he could put stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and you just went, oh, my God, you yeah. know. And that's my ultimately. point is the roof. Is the that. roof of that car <laughs> on the parking lot. Yeah. And, and that's why, like, within three years, the track was reprofiled into an oval. Right. Because it was diabolical. Really? You know, that's oh, sketchy. It was. It was, yeah. Um, was so, this the mid-90s or something? Yeah, it would have been because it was it was right, you know, when, when um, oh, the hurricane came through the homestead hurricane area. Hurricane Andrew? Yeah. And 92. Was that, that was Andrew. Yeah. Early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. And the, the IMSA race, which had run through the streets of Miami, you yep. know, Biscayne Park, yeah. Bayfront Park, um, it ran, and then it ran the last year it ran uh, at that location. They, had, uh, they ran it backwards with cart, which was kind of fun. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, but the, uh, the, um, when that ended, um, and Ralph wanted to, you know, have a racing facility and everything, and he, he literally wanted to do something to help the people <coughs> In Homestead to bring him some revenue and something to be, yeah. so he built that track. And I, I, you know, I work for Ralph at those events 
um, I thought he was a stand-up guy. I mean, the first ever race, which I wasn't at for that uh, that street race, uh, it, 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 it rained out. Okay. And he paid every purse and out of pocket. I mean, he was millions in the hole. Jeez. And he paid everything out because he said he would. And that's what had him come back the next year. And the racers said, no, we're going back. Because he, you know, he took care of us. We're going to take yeah. care of him. And it blew up, right? So it was great. Right. He was... He made one huge mistake to me. What's that? And that was, that's Southern Florida. That's Miami. They're not into oval racing. No. <laughs> if he would have built yeah. a world-class road course there, yeah. that thing would be huge. Still probably be a giant facility. Like, and, it, how, and it would be well, phenomenal. And how well would, even like the basic infield yeah. of Daytona does. Yeah. And the crowds Sebring. there. Yeah. yeah, the crowds there would we were be talking just about it. Somebody was amazing. talking about the party at Sebring in tech the other night. And I'm like, I hear that party is insane. Sebring 12 hour. He's mm-hmm. like, I've never been to anything like that. No, it's like, it's. They come out for road racing in South. They do. In South. They do. Well, the year. What the hell was it? 74. Yeah. When we had the fuel crisis and they canceled the race, it's like 10,000 people still showed up and partied on the infield. Just partied. Just partied. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's the general consensus. Is yeah, I think the numbers are a little bit more even now. But you know, back in the day. There were a lot of people that said, there, you know, of the 100,000 people that would show up, 30,000 of them were race fans. Yeah. The rest were just spring breakers. Just raging. Just, just raging. That's, it, it, that's a great way to put it. That's, but that's my, awesome. Well, yeah. What, be. And what got me thinking about that for, you know, if he built a road course was that, that's, that street race where they went backwards yeah. on, on the IMSA layout. I announced it, and I did the driver introduction. And, you know, IndyCar cart uh, was very similar to NASCAR in their level of control. Okay. And so they, they wanted me to do the driver introductions, but they literally had this script, mm-hmm. essentially. And <laughs> so I'm looking at it, and they've got, you know, the drivers, where he is in the points, just this, 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 yeah, where he's living, residents, and all that kind of stuff, right? So the first couple of guys, you know, it's so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, from the U.S. or Canada or whatever, right? And then I get to... And in the whatever car for, you know, I don't remember exactly, um, uh, from, you know, from Miami, Florida, Christian Fittipaldi. Yeah. Right? And Christian waves in the crowd is kind of, yeah, really. And I mean, we did just that crowd on the front street in front of the two street. Right. That was packed. And he went and smiles and waves, but then he leans in. And in that moment, I was, this could be a career killer, but yeah, I, yeah. Gotta, I, I have to strike my head. And I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the look on the, on the card official's face. I, I broke from the script. And I went, now, ladies and gentlemen, he may have a home yeah. here in Miami, Florida, but where's he from? And the crowd just went, Brazil! Just really? went, eight. And so for the rest of the introductions, when I do an American or a Canadian or whatever, I just announced it. But I get to, and uh, Emerson Fittipaldi, yeah. he has a residence in Key Biscayne, but where's he from? You know, and anything that was South American, yeah. Latino, whatever, I just, and they just went, eight. Yeah. And that's when I'm sitting, you know, then a few and years you later. Can hear it. Oh, you can I mean, it, yeah. a roar. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got goosebumps right now thinking yeah, about yeah. it. You know, and I and and so then when Ralph decides to build this track, and I'm excited, and then he, it's an oval, and I went, yeah, that could have been your one big mistake, but you know, 
Because I think a road course down there, yeah. it, would, it, it would be packed all yeah. the time. So You've had a wild career, man. I've been so lucky. Yeah. I hope as, you get more with as us. A friend, <laughs> as a guy that, a, a friend of mine who worked with, uh, it, it hasn't been on the air too long, Prime TV back in the day. But he did this in an interview. Somebody said, "said uh, You've had a pretty good, you know, you know, career." Huh? And he went, "Ah," uh, said, "Greatest free ride in motorsports." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and sometimes I almost feel like that yeah. because I've been able to, you know, I, I love driving immensely. I scared the hell out of you. you sure know, did at at, at, at at Gingerman, and I never confessed to you that that was the first time I'd driven a car at any level of speed in about ten years. Really? Yeah. Well, you were getting after it. So, so we, that we was... We put a check engine light on in Kyle Heyer's car, and we almost put it in the uh, weeds down past our head. Well, we, we went off. <laughs> we we went off. It was a track inspection, I, I, I recall. It was, and I misjudged that run-up. Our... We inspected some off-track. <laughs> we, we did. It was amazing. Um, we, yeah, it, yeah, obviously the runoff out there is nice and smooth. Yes. So we confirmed that. But, and um, all's yeah. well that ends well. And I love driving, but, you know, yeah. I've... I know I didn't have the skill, ultimately, yeah. I don't think, to ever make a career as a driver. Certainly didn't have the uh, the, the familial wealth yeah. to be able helped. to do it. And so to be or able barbarism. to... Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So to be able to, to, to find a way to make a career of being involved in motorsports. And I'll tell you what, you know, it, no matter what I'm announcing, um, the green flag drops. I'm, You're in I, it. I, yeah. I just, yeah. I'm all in. I, I, I just love it. I think Left's got a couple of fits kicking around. That'd be a blast. Three, including the one that I daily drive. That would be fun. So the cup cars are way better than they should be. <laughs> They're way more fun to drive than they should be. So we need Greg some more seat time, I think. So, Greg, so. When, what's the next event? So this show will be up probably on Tuesday. Okay. It's, it's uh, what, Friday now. Yep. Okay. So what's the next event that you will do on your professional calendar? Uh, let's see. That would be... It's early April right now. Yeah, that would be I th- on my professional calendar. Would be Moto America. You've done a whole series at Road Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, that's why I have to miss a couple of, of these races because I I had, I had done the deal with them. But um, yeah, Moto America at at Road Atlanta, and I think that's that's the weekend before uh, Grid Life at the Glen. Yep. So cool. Yeah. Are you and, coming uh, to the Glen? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Sick. So that's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be great. And I got to tell you, yeah. When back in, in the speed days, there were like three or four years where I did three or four uh, AMA superbike races. Yeah. When Ralph Shaheen would have a conflict, because he also did the motocross and all that. And uh, one of the guys that was part of the management team is now one of the partners with with Wayne Rainey in Moto America, and we've stayed in touch. And last year they had an, uh, two announcers that had some conflicts, so they asked me to come and fill in. And uh, you know, one, I, it's, I was it's the first time I've really been a little nervous. Because bikes are so, and I didn't. It's been what, fifteen years, twenty years, whatever since AMA Superbike. So the technology has changed. They're so fast, and I'm not on top of that, you know. And it's been a long time since I've 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 done the MotoGP thing. So I was kind of stepping into this world that, and I was a little nervous about it. And uh, one, they're fun to call. Yeah. Short, fast, intense. Yep. And those guys are nuts. Is it you easy, know? Is it easy to pick out who's who? Mm-hmm. Is it harder? Yeah, easier? It, it, you know what? It seems like it'd be harder. It can be. Um, you, you just get, but the nice thing is you see helmets. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you know you can have two guys on the same looking bike, but right. generally they got a vastly different. Somebody's helmet. got a green helmet. Somebody's got a yeah, red. or you know, Makes or sense. a stripe, or a, you know, something. Right. And you, you know, kind of like F one when you get used to looking to the is there the yellow on yeah. the top of the roll hoop or not? You know that kind of thing. You just kind of pick this stuff up. Um, 
Yeah, but you know, I I talk a lot about how race car drivers are wired differently. Yeah. You know, but motorcycle racers, they're short circuited, man. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. what they do is just insane. It, Even it's, track day motorcycle people freak me out. <laughs> oh, and I mean the good guys. You know, they you know they come into a turn and you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, we're going to pick him up in five different pieces. If you watch and they lean video. And, Slow-mo video coming yeah. into a turn. So complete. They have oh. one inch of contact patch yeah. on the front of the bike. Yeah. It's unreal. It's a cr- yeah, and the and back. Like 180. The contact patch is a credit card on the yeah. back. It's insane. You know. And, you know, they, you know, as they as they go from one side to the other, it changes the gearing on the bike. The, yeah. The, the radius of yeah, the tire. The, literally the radius of the tire. And, you know, all the stuff. And what you don't see sometimes is as they're going into a turn, they're slipping the butt. Yeah. You know, if you know if they if they're backing it in too much, you know, slip the clutch, get the tire rolling a little. Yeah. All of this they're processing. Coming, you know, on, on a super bike from Seems 100, fake. 180 real. miles an hour. Doesn't seem real. No, I mean, the first year that that when I was doing the 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 MotoGP studio stuff, the first year they went to the one liter bikes, back to the one liter bikes. Yeah. Danny Pedrosa is the lightest at that era. Was the lightest guy in in the series. In that first year at. Um, uh, the track in Italy. I'm, God, I'm not going to come up with the name right now. But it's, it's the longest straight in MotoGP. Okay. And they clocked him through the speed traps before he lifted going into turn one at 217 miles an hour. Good grief, On dude. a bike. That's freaking indie speed. Oh, I know. At it's indie. just. On a perfect day. Yeah. Mugello wow. is the track. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, so, uh, you know, calling that stuff is fun. That's it is fun. It, but I'm, I, I'm not nervous yeah. when I call car racing. You're nervous about bikes. I am nervous because you know I've, you know I've seen. Well, I called a race at Brainerd last year for him, and we had a guy die. Oh yeah. So you know that you know that just right away said oh, this is a little different game. Yeah, it's a different game. You know, so. It's, it's a, it's right? But it's insanely exciting. What uh, what level of uh, pre-event research would you typically do on some of these things? Like, say it's your first bike race. Of the mm-hmm. year. How much, like how much does a serious announcer put into this? Um, uh, I mean especially people. And stuff, oh, if it's like, the first one, yeah. um, I mean, you know, the first thing I do is well, when I, when I said, uh, you know, when they said, you know, we'd like you to do it, um, I said uh, I need you to give me a membership to Moto America Live, okay. because then I could access every race, and so do, I yeah. just so I would every night. I do my stuff, you know, my work during the day, and then every night, instead of watching a movie or whatever, yeah, um, I would sit and watch a couple of races, right? Just to start getting, yeah, you know, makes sense. familiar with the bikes, familiar with the riders, you know, you know that sort of thing, uh, and then you know, going through websites, um, getting the entry list, laying it out, and starting making notes in the entry list. Dig through it, just dig through it, yeah. you know. So when you get up there, um, and you know, and especially, like I said, for that, it'd been a long time since I'd done bikes, so. It was like I, you know, I don't want to walk in there and yeah, just deep dive. make a complete fool out of myself. Right. And to my great fortune, Roger Hayden, who's the guy that I announced with, uh, was just just great mm-hmm. and really helpful. And uh, helps carry and, you when you're missing a piece, mm, then, you know, or when yeah, when I'm you know like I'm struggling to. And to me, it almost felt like uh, going back in time when I was calling snowmobiles with with uh, Paul Page. Because I was at all the events. I was doing the at-track PA for the snowmobile races, and then we go put the voice on later, right? And Paul, he wasn't, so he wasn't at the track, so he wasn't super familiar with stuff. Mm-hmm. And we would get into this rhythm where I'd sense him, you know, that's a nice move by, and I could hear this pause, and i just go extra. That was a sweet pass, yeah. you know, and we just got into this rhythm. Well, 
halfway through the the second day, I felt Roger and I were there because I cool. I get this little pause and he just jump in with it. And so you know, hard. When, when you get somebody you know that is willing to you know to help like that, yeah. uh, it and you know it's you know it's fun. And like I said, it doesn't matter when the green flag drops. I'm pretty much into it. Having so. called a dozen races, maybe like it is, it is properly hard. But for some people, it's not. And there's three people that I've like seen in our world who it just like comes out of their mouth and it's right, and it's you and it's Kyle and it's Tamo. Like mm-hmm. it just flows out of your face, and all of a sudden, like we got a great broadcast. Yeah. And I'm like, Thank you. like <laughs> I feel like I'm tripping on my tongue. So, but uh, yeah, it's well, a, some is just experience too. Yeah, you know, well, just, just haven't done a lot of it. But yeah, I've talked a lot, but like yeah. I can't. I've, I don't call races. I don't, I don't aspire to. Yeah. But and I really enjoy. Um, I mean, all three of you guys are fun to listen to. Alex Moss has really turned into a pretty decent he's, announcer. Yeah, too, he is so. too. He is too. He was, um, you know, he's who I worked with at Mid Ohio my yes. first ever time when yeah. when Kyle wasn't there. And you've got a gem in Kyle. Uh, I know you know yeah. that, but wow, what. What Did you he's ever hear done, the story what he of does. how we got Kyle? No. So Kyle had this little company, Sim TV, still does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, does a ton of announcing, broadcasts these iRacing events. Yep. And the Grid Life iRacers, like, Discord had mm-hmm. hired him to, like, announce and produce a couple of, of, like, nightly races, right? And it's a bunch of our racers in the middle of the winter. It's before we had anything to do with it. And, like, they just, like, paid him 35 bucks or something. And then Derek Yarbrough, uh, text me and he's like did you see this Kyle kid who, uh, who announced us we should bring him to Midwest I hear you're doing a live stream and I'm like yeah, we should bring that kid that kid's really good and I, yeah. t- and I got his number and uh, and he was like yeah I'll totally announce in real life <laughs> you know Kyle <laughs> Kyle 19 year old enthusiasm a bunch of years ago this is 2019 maybe yep. um, somehow got it like I think I handed him 200 bucks for gas and um, somehow got him and his roommate to Road Atlanta that year, which was like literally our fourth live stream ever. We had done 2018 Road Atlanta as experiment. 2019, the first GLTC race ever was at Mid-Ohio, and me and Tamo did the calls for it. And then Midwest Festival, and then Road Atlanta, probably fourth stream ever. And Kyle and his roommate just showed up because uh, I asked him to come, and I like wasn't sure they were able to, yep. and they like figured out how to buy a flight. They bought their first rental car, and it was the first time Kyle was ever on an airplane. Uh, and then Chris, my partner in grid life was like that Kyle kid's pretty good huh what else can he do uh, and pretty soon we got a Kyle that's nice. where Kyle came from so. well and you know he through sim TV he got into world challenge stuff with yeah. the, and then uh, SRO yeah uh, meeting Robbie and all them doing some e-streaming stuff for them like it's it's the same kind of bootstrappy thing that that uh, that you went through Just well yeah yeah version I mean it, yeah. it that young yeah. I'm determined to make it. I'll do what I have to. Absolutely. On the and way I, down here, he was riding with me in the bus, and uh, and we were talking about that stuff, mm. um, like we're like reminiscing of like the first weekends that we met and stuff. And then I was like, it's like literally all of the track team, <laughs> like everybody on the track team was like, is here because I was because I thought that person will make my life better and make this suck less. Like <laughs> Abe, Abe was our 2016 Street Mod champion, right? Yep. And also, we did a couple of fun podcasts together in 2016. Me and our old co-host Austin, uh, who still does sometimes, but he got into motorcycles and then airplanes, and uh, now Abe's the co-host. But uh, Abe was the 2016 Street Mod champ, right? Um, and came up with a better point system. And I was like, 
Abe's smart. Abe, you want to work for your life somewhere? <laughs> like it's that's the same story for like fifteen people. Scott and Renee, I knew him from a forum. Yep. They had bought a CRX from me, and I was like, "Hey, you guys want to come instruct? Uh, hey, you guys, we're starting a race series. Got any ideas? Hey, uh, hey, uh, I need some help. I'm drowning here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like it's well, just just struggle bus, well, and then you but, get yeah, there. but you yeah. recognize talent. Well, and, you know, and that's vibe and talent. Are well, well like, vibe, yeah. You, you know, got to be the right person. vibe, here. yeah, exactly, right to be exactly. Here, so. um, and you know, you know, talking about the live stream stuff, I did. Uh, I got Kyle involved in this this new live stream uh, on I uh, raising called Full Send Sims. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Spec Miata series, and he was my co announcer, but also Sim TV was the producer. Right. And I hadn't really, other than when I did that uh, that one year with your series yeah. a couple of years it was ago, twenty twenty, I um, think. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but. <laughs> This thing, I mean, it is it is hugely produced and all that kind he's of stuff, so right? So good, and he he's announcing, and he's producing. Yeah, he's switching and camera he's, angles. Yeah, and, and he's so quick to go. Oh, did you see him hit that curb? Let's look at that. Yeah, and I mean, it's him setting up that replay. Yeah, and it's replaying before he even finishes saying, it's "Let's let's look at it." Oh, you know how good he is. At yeah, it. and I, you know, I Very say this, yeah. I say this with the the most complimentary vibe I can offer. He is a geek. Of the highest level, yeah. And you know, we were talking about this earlier with some people. Geeks get stuff done, yeah. And and he does. The stream looks so good, and a lot uh, of it's because of Kyle. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The and very I mean, first what he's, stream what didn't he's have done any this year, <laughs> we didn't even have overlays before. Well, what you know, what he's you know bought this year oh, with man, the matching time number looks panel, so cool. and and the number panel. Yes, yeah. you know, like the you know the old British touring car series. I mean, yeah. it just looked great. It really does. And yeah, yeah. And the the the, the graphics for this new. Uh, Time attack. NOS Energy Track Battle Championship. Still can't believe that's a thing. I know. And how nice is it to say Two that? years in the making, too. That's so cool. Yeah, that's wild, But, man. I mean, the graphic package. Oh, that they did got, such the, a great job. The advance, yeah. you know, advancing and chasing on the yeah. graphics and all that. That, I'll tell you what, I yeah. can't wait to, we were about, to, to like, call that, that uh, podium sprint tomorrow. Yeah, we were about 10 minutes into qualifying. Uh, and I happened to head, I, like, I got a break for a split second from grid to run to the RV. Chris is in his bus, right, his band right next to me. And he's like, dude, did you see this? <laughs> and I was like, I've heard about it. I have not seen it because I got no data. You know? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like, just stop for a second and look at it. And, like, just, like, glowing with pride with what our friends have built. Yeah. Like, even yeah. Matt Johnston, the producer of the live stream, mm-hmm. like, he was just a broke Honda friend of me and Chris in 99, 2000, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, like, we did rally stuff. We were his crew. He ran, like, SCCA Pro Rally and then Rally America stuff and, like it's just a bunch of our friends, and like now we have a lot more friends, and we yeah. all do race cars, race car stuff together. Well, and that like, and that that is the paddock vibe for which yeah, Grid Life is famous. And I mean, you let's know. be friends with our friends and do stuff with our friends. Yeah, but. and do it well. We're trying. Oh no, so no, no! We, you're we had a you're few, doing. We tripped over ourselves a few times today, but it's a lot well, of new things, new well, tracks. I mean, rusty first event, but like and and a, and this whole new concept of the, of yeah. of the festival tour where you've taken stuff. Yeah. To another, every time you do something new, you're going to have little this wrinkles. Is the at earliest the start. we've done anything big ever. Yeah, Coda was five of us. Yeah, Abe came to produce some podcasts. Like it was nothing. But Jeremy Swenson, right there, the champ, right there, man. Um, yeah, he toot. As he goes, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the first, the earliest we've done anything this big yeah. in, in ever. Yeah. Um, usually we've got months of, like, shaking the rust off. We do a couple sure. of DE events. We do, like, basic yeah. stuff. And all of a sudden we're in the flow. Yeah. But uh, it's going okay. Well, from so. a slightly, I'm not as involved in the whole thing as you two are. Yeah. So take it from me that, you know, I've seen a lot of first events. Yeah. And 
you know, with this level and the changes and everything you're doing, sure, there have been little wrinkles here that, that yeah. will get smoothed out. But for a start like this, I think it's been, it's been superb. Someone this it's morning said it's like a duck on water. You watch a duck swim on water. It's pretty smooth. O- on top, everything <laughs> looks great. Yeah, yeah. Underneath, man, those legs yep. are kicking. Yep. I well, like, I mean, there was like a duck on water. I think you said that yesterday, didn't yeah. you? Or somebody did. I did, yeah. It was we last night the, when we were talking. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, it, it, it feels like a duck on water, but there's like piranhas on the bottom. <laughs> you added that. <laughs> yeah. Because you'd, That's what it feels you'd like. woke up twitching. Yeah, I woke uh, up at 5.30 in the morning after going to bed at 2 a.m. Uh, in a blind panic, probably 150 heart rate, like... There's not enough paddock space. I yeah. think we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And then it turns and out no, it turns it's way different than it was in 2012. I pulled in in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I'm like, 2012, this place is not very big. Yeah. Uh, I think we're screwed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we're not. It's good. Yeah. I think we it did is. a show, Adam. Yeah. That sounds well, great. Thanks, I think so, too. And you know, one last thing is I've announced a lot of races where during it, yeah. the, you know, the production, you get done with it and you go, that was up one of the most steaming piles of crap right it's that was awful that was horrible then i go back and watch it and it's like i know how bad stuff was right you know because i could hear what was going on in the truck and i could hear this not rolling and not doing this yeah but the production looks pretty good it was not too bad you yeah. know and so you know in the end it's what you made of it yeah and i think for this you know this first day yeah. It's been hugely successful, I think. So well, I mean, the sum of our problems could be some like, or not the sum of our problems. Like the the pieces of our problems are typically five minute problems, yeah, and annoying things that we wish were better, and we get through them, and then they call like they culminates in like a frustration, yeah, but like a base frustration of like we got eighty percent of the way, and that's enough, but we could have, like, we'd be in a better mood if we got ninety five percent of the way, right. but. Uh, yeah, pretty good day, though. I think it did darn well. Yeah, that's all right. And it's anyway, been a delight. Spectators to be a, didn't know anything part- was wrong. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, bud. Right, it's yeah. been a delight. It's been great to... This uh, is like to, your 10th grid life. Now, it is. Right? It is. So. I love that. And I appreciate Thanks for the invite, Manny, uh, a couple of years ago, and Amazing. I hope I'm around for a long time. I love this series. I don't think uh, we're going to kick you out. It's going to be all right. All right. So, thanks Done. for coming, man. You bet. All right, buddy. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits of Grid Live to say hello. Hello.